Happy Palm Sunday. You're listening to The Riverwalk, the preaching ministry of Beth River Baptist Church in Winsboro, Louisiana. Today we're going to talk about being washed in the blood. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy. If you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. John chapter 12, first off, and then the rest of the service we're going to spend in Hebrews chapter 10. So be finding those two. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day we celebrate the the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's written about in all four Gospels. We celebrate it today because as we're about to read that we know that it came six days before the Passover. That's in John chapter 12, verse 1. We read about what happened in John 12, verse 12. It says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when He had found a young donkey, said on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about Him, that He had done these things to Him, that they had done these things to Him. And we'll stop there this morning. This was an exciting, an exciting day. This, this was a big time during the calendar. It still is for the Jewish people. It's the week they celebrate Passover. This was the week that Jesus come in, comes in on the donkey. They were excited. Perhaps, just perhaps, this is the moment that all the Jews have been waiting for. For literally hundreds of years, these people, they, they had been in bondage. They're under Roman control. They had been under a Greek control under Alexander the Great. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And perhaps now, perhaps now, this Palm Sunday, perhaps now salvation and freedom had finally come. Peace may be finally coming. You can see all kinds of people here in all the gospel. You see disciples, you see Pharisees, you, you see, uh, see these children and other people. They were happy. They were rejoicing. I'm sure that they knew of what's called the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where, where the prophet Nathan told David, hey, from your line, there's going to be a king coming. And I'm sure they knew of this prophecy that John quoted here, and that's from Zechariah 9.9. that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I can imagine they were excited, and I can see why they would be excited. But sadly, sadly, I believe these people, they were looking for a king, not looking for a savior. This is a perfect example of how this week started, and a perfect example of how God doesn't always work like we want Him to. Here you have a group of people that was looking for a conquering lion. But here this week, God was sending another sacrificial Passover lamb whose name was Jesus. This week, the people would soon find out this week was not about Jesus conquering Rome. It was about Jesus conquering sin and death. 
This week we celebrate today, just like they got a little bit mixed up. This week we celebrate today. I want to encourage you not to get it mixed up. This week is not about eggs and bunnies. This week is about sacrifice. This week is about salvation. This is the week that salvation was brought not only to the Jewish people, not only to people in exile. This is the week that salvation was brought to the whole wide world. This is the week that God provided a new Passover lamb for us. Almost I sympathize with these people because the disciples, the multitudes, the Pharisees, the women, the children, everybody was there. They didn't realize what was about to happen before their very eyes. But today, church, today, some 2,000 years later, we know the events that happened. We have the whole picture of exactly what happened. And let me tell you something else. We know 99.9% of exactly what will happen and how it will happen. So listen, that should change absolutely everything. So now, if you're not already there, turn in Hebrews chapter 10. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews was. Many people think it was the Apostle Paul. Some people think it was somebody like Apollos. But it was a very educated person. And it was a person very familiar with Jewish backgrounds. And in this little passage I'm going to read to you today, I'm going to read to you about the significance of what happened during Holy Week. The writer of Hebrews was telling these, these Jewish Christians what changed this week this Passover week, this Holy Week. And I'm going to read in Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 11. It says, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds. I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So what's going on here? What the, the author is telling the people, hey, during this holy week, something changed. Once upon a time, the wages of sin has always been death. Once upon a time, there was only certain men that could go into the presence of God. There was this whole sacrificial, sacrificial system. But now, because of Jesus, because of what He did during this Holy Week, because of the new Passover Lamb, everything changes. Listen, two truths from that passage before we go any further to church. Number one is that this man Jesus, this man Jesus, where is He at now? This man Jesus is at the right hand of God. This man Jesus is exactly who He said He was. 
He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. That should change everything in our lives. Recognize his deity today. So many Christians today, they know about Jesus. They know he died on a cross. They, they know all this stuff about Jesus, but they don't recognize they don't recognize his deity. Church, when you recognize his deity, well, let me tell you something. You'll treat Jesus different than anybody else. You'll kneel before the king. You'll submit to the king. A Christian who isn't submitting to the king is a Christian who is sinning before the king. Realize that this morning, this week, this holy week, Jesus proved that he was who he said he was. But also, also something else in this little passage. And I would say this, that it is finished. That was the words that our Savior said on that old rugged cross. He said, it is finished. I want you to look in these five verses or, or six verses that I just read. And I want you to notice some words. Notice the words forever and no more. But this man in verse 12, after he had offered one sacrifices for sins forever, sit down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who were being sacrificed. Being sanctified, excuse me. Verse 17, then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Church, if there is ever reason to rejoice, when Jesus said that it was finished, church, let me tell you, it was finished. You don't have to carry the weight of your sins anymore. It doesn't matter what you're holding on to today. If you truly repent, if you truly give it to Jesus, if you truly ask Him to wash you in that blood, it can be gone forever and you can be a new creature in Christ. It is finished. One time, one and done, and all it took was a perfect sacrifice 2,000 years ago. Church, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but you should read this. And I just want to tell you, stop being defined by your past. Stop thinking of yourself as unqualified. Stop thinking of yourself as unloved. Because if you have the blood, you have God's gift of salvation. And nothing, absolutely nothing can take that away. The world may remember your past. Your family may remember your past. Your spouse may remember your past. But Christ, our King, wipes it clean and He does not. Man, that's good news. Who here doesn't have something in their past they'd like to just get rid of and forget about? Well, I've got news for you today. Jesus can do that. Jesus has done that. It's reason to rejoice, it's reason to praise, it's reason to worship, and it's reason to serve. That's why I do what I do. Because this man Jesus is who he said he was, and it is finished. So the author goes on and he writes a few more things because of what has happened this Passover week. Starting in verse 19, recognizing these two truths, that Jesus is king and that our sin problem has been dealt with. Verse 19, it says, Therefore, therefore, brethren, other brothers and sisters in Christ, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The writer is saying here, these Jewish, early Jewish Christians, they would have understood what he was saying here before. Before, to, to enter the Holy of Holies, only one person could do it. Only this priest could do it. And it was this whole big sacrificial system. And now the writer is saying, hey, now we have Jesus. We have that priest for all of us. And now because of the blood, because of the blood, first off, we should be bold. It says it in verse 19. Boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now we get to go right to Jesus, who's where? At the right hand of God. We should be bold because of the word, because of the blood. Church, boldly. I call for boldness this morning. Let's boldly stand up for what's right. Let's boldly stand out against what's wrong. Church, when we tolerate sin in any of its forms, you're minimizing Christ's sacrifice and you're minimizing his blood. Let's be bold. Let's boldly share what God has done for us. Let's boldly share the Easter Sunday. How can I be bold? Because of those two truths. Because I know I'm forgiven, I know it's finished, and I know Jesus is King. Why wouldn't I be bold? Who can conquer me? I know the King of Kings. It's finished. And Jesus is that King. He also says that we should have a full assurance of our faith. In verse 22, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Our faith in Jesus should not be a fickle faith. It should be full, 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 full of assurance. I will tell any atheist, I'll tell any Buddhist, any Muslim, I will tell anybody, you know what? You know the easiest way to disprove Christianity? I will renounce it all today if you show me the bones of Jesus Christ. But you're not going to do it because guess what? The tomb is as empty today as it was 2,000 years ago. My faith is full this morning. Don't have a fickle faith. Have a full faith. A fully faithful person that has that evil conscience seared and their minds are on things above. It changes everything. Church, I, I just wonder sometimes how many of us really have a full faith. If, I, mean, I mean, think about this. We, we believe that somebody came and lived perfect. That's almost unbelievable to imagine that anybody could be perfect. But we believe that. Do you believe that fully this morning? We believe this man died a crucifixion on a cross, still never sinning, praying for his enemy, still hard to believe. And perhaps the most hardest than that, we believe he rose again three days later. Well, church, if you can believe those three things full of faith, then why, why do we struggle in any area of life? Because let me tell you, if, if your faith is in somebody that's conquered death, well, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Yes, we can be bold sharing our faith. Yes, we'll be in church because we know that we know that we know this happened. Yes, we will serve. Yes, we will give. Yes, we will give our life to Him because we are full 
full assurance of our faith. If your faith isn't full, if your faith is fickle, then it explains everything else. That explains why, why we're halfway in and not all the way in because our faith is lacking. Because of what happened during Holy Week, our faith should be full. He also went on in verse 23. He said, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Church, this is a promise. This is a command to us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. This is not a maybe type hope. This isn't like saying, I hope that the weather will be good this week or I hope it won't rain. This is a certain type hope. This is something that we know, that we know, that we know is coming. Once again, if your faith is full, if you're certain your sins are forgiven, if you're certain the tomb is empty, you can be certain, absolutely certain that heaven awaits because guess what? He who promised is faithful. Just like we talked about two weeks ago. Jesus told him three times he was faithful about his death. He was faithful about his burial. He was faithful about his resurrection. He was faithful when he promised that the temple would be destructed. And it was. It still lies in ruins today. So believe me, church, you can be rest assured that everything else he promised is coming true too. We have a hope. He's coming back. He's preparing a place for us. Your loved ones in Christ Jesus, they're in a better place. Let's hold fast to our hope without wavering. And he also says in verse 24, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Why do we meet on Sunday? Why are we here today? In part, it's to fill this command out. Because we're full of faith. Because we have hope. Because we know Jesus is who we said He was. Is who He said He is. We know He sits at the right hand of God. So we meet together. At least, at the very least, once a week. To stir up one another in love and good works. To worship the King of Kings, to learn, to love, to build, to exhort one another, to submit to the King. Church, if you pay close attention, three simple things mentioned here for the believer because of the blood. It's the same thing that that Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians 12. Faith, hope, and love. That's the tenets of Christianity. Faith, Hope and love. If you've got the faith, if you've got the faith that Jesus is who He said He was, if you've got the faith that He's sitting at the right hand of God, if you've got the faith that He died for you, if you've got the faith that your sins have been forgiven, well, guess what? You have a hope, a hope that the rest of the world don't have. Hey, isn't it a good thing that our hope doesn't rely on what happens in Washington, D.C.? Isn't it a a good thing that, that our hope isn't there, Republican or Democrat? Praise the Lord, my hope isn't there. Man, it'd be horrible if it was. We've got faith. We've got hope. And we've got those things. We've got love. If you've been washed by the blood, you should have those three things present and visible in your life. 
It should be just as crystal clear as the sun rising on Easter Sunday. Faith, hope, and love. Do you have that today? If you're here today, you know, this is something that, that, that could be a, a little bit hard to explain. This is something that could be a little bit over your head. As a matter of fact, if, if I'm going out and I'm going to try to share Jesus with somebody, this is a phrase that I try to avoid. Are you washing the blood? You want to get people to look at you funny? That's, that's how you do it. I mean, people don't understand that. It kind of goes above their head. Let me take a minute and let, let me just try to, to break, break this down just as simple as I possibly can. Where there is sin, there's death. Where there is sin, there is blood. Ever since the very beginning of time, you go read in Genesis. Go read in Genesis chapter 3. When the fall of man happened, the first thing that God did, He provided animal skins. There was death in the garden because of sin. God cannot look on you and your sin. Your sin repulses him your sin deserves the wrath of God he cannot do it it doesn't matter who the high priest is it doesn't matter who the pastor is we've got this sin problem and it's got to be dealt with I cannot enter the holy of holies I cannot go into God's presence as my sinful condition because God cannot cannot look upon my sin it's been a problem since the beginning of time why is it that way well I don't know because the Bible says it's that way and by the way, other cultures recognize this too. It's one of the most amazing things in the world. Something about sacrifice to cover sins. Well, time goes on. God develops a system. And He says, hey, I'm going to let you sacrifice for the remission of sins. And if you know the story of Exodus, God provided a Passover lamb for everybody. For everybody in Egypt. The instruction was this, that, hey, I'm going to wipe out the firstborn in Egypt. But if you take a lamb and you sprinkle his blood over your door, then I will pass over you. I won't see who's inside. I won't see your sin. I won't see none of that. I will see the blood and I will pass over you. That Passover has became a feast and they still keep that up. And there was still a, a more sacrificial systems comes up. And it's all about blood, blood to cover the transgressions of many. But the truth is, it's never enough. It's never enough because we're so, such sinful, sinful people. So God in His perfect love and His perfect mercy foresaw a way that one sacrifice would be enough. He looked down and he saw our sin problem and he saw the Israelites' sin problem and he saw everybody's sin problem and he said, you know what? This is how I'm going to solve it. I'm going to become man. I'm going to live perfect. And I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to shed my blood. One and done, just like the author of Hebrews says. It's going to be hard. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to have a crown of thorns put on my head. People are going to mock me. People aren't going to believe me. It's going to hurt me physically. It's going to hurt me spiritually. But I'm going to do it because I love these people. I want to fix what they messed up. And Jesus came and he did that. And he rose again on the third day. 
And do you know when he did it? It's the most amazing thing in the world to me. We, we know this. It's not even a question in history. When did Jesus come down and when did he die on that old rugged cross? Passover. Passover. So from then on out, when Jesus says it is finished, from then on out, Jesus isn't looking for a lamb's blood anymore. He's looking for his blood. Now, when he's looking to Kevin, if I've been washed in Jesus' blood, he doesn't see my iniquities, he sees himself. In Exodus, God looked for the blood and he passed over. Today, today it's, it's changed a little bit, but it's really the same. Today, God is still looking for the blood. And every sin you've ever committed, he will just pass right over it if you'll give it to him. If you will repent of your sin and you will ask Jesus to make you new, He will make you new. Jesus came that week as the new Passover lamb. He came to offer His life as the ransom for many, and He did that. But i got to tell you, church, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back. His second coming is not going to be as an innocent Passover lamb. His second coming is going to be as a roaring lion. Just like it says up there, he's at the right hand of God in verse 13. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Jesus, I mean, he kept his word faithful, faithful, faithful to come as the Passover lamb. And he's coming back again. How is he going to find you? Is he going to see you or is he going to see the blood? He closes it. He closes what we just read as so much more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. Yes, it's been a long time. And yes, it may be a long time. But that day is approaching when Jesus is going to come back. Is he going to see you or is he going to see the blood? Is, are you washed in the blood? We're going to sing this song for a hymn of invitation. And I want you as we stand and we sing this song in a minute. I want you to examine yourself. I want you to look at the lyrics. Listen to the lyrics. Sing the lyrics. And I want you to answer the question sincerely this morning. It's the most important question that you will ever answer. Are you washed in the blood? In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Look, I believe Jesus died for everybody. I believe there's enough blood to cover the whole world. I believe that. But it took effort on the part of the Egyptians to get that blood and sprinkle it over the door. It didn't take a lot, but it took some. And this morning, it's not enough to know that the blood was shed. It's not enough to know that Jesus died and rose again. It's not enough to know the Easter story. What Jesus is looking for, Jesus is looking that you had the faith to accept his sacrifice. Are you washed in the blood? If not, then I pray that you'll make that decision today. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the message. I hope you understood it. I hope that you've been washed in the blood and I hope you have a good Friday and a happy, happy Easter.